the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so the first meeting this morning, I just zeroed in on the kingdom, what it is, what it means, the power of God's word. He does everything through his word. He, in Hebrews 1, he created the world through the word that he spoke from his mouth. He never lifted his finger or his thumb. Everything he did, he thought about, spoke it, it happened. And that's why the Bible tells us there's life and death and the power of the tongue. It tells us out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what you believe in your heart, you say, you walk it, you live it, you have the fruit of what you say from your lips. Proverbs 4.20 says, my son, pay attention to my words. Do not, do, don't be deceived by certain things, but keep that word. Guard your heart with all diligence. Persevere in keeping that word. And because that word of God is stored in the heart. So if we want to walk in faith, because without faith it's impossible to please God, and we know that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, and we know that in Psalm 119 verse 130, says, the entrance of your Word gives light, it gives understanding to the simple. It also says in the Message Bible, the doorway, or the, the entrance, the doorway, the entrance of your Word illuminates what's inside you. It also tells us in the same word in another translation, the Voice Bible, it says the, the entrance of your word, Azusa, brings light. And that word is taken straight away from Azusa Street, revival, way back in the days of William Seymour, Charles Parham, in the revival days of Azusa Street, which has affected the whole world. And... Um, so they took that word Azusa, which was an Indian word. It's from an Indian culture, the American Indian. And there was a young girl called Azusa, and she was healed in one of the meetings, one of the first peoples that were healed. And so they said, if that's what God's word does, we want that, what's happened to her in everything. So they adopted that word, Azusa. So you know what God wants to do is he wants to awaken, illuminate, enlighten, and cause havoc in society by bringing his purpose on earth. And he is looking. He is wanting to work through humanity. He could do it himself without us, but he's waiting for us. He wants to partner with us because he wants us to be his sons and daughters in him. And so that was the kingdom. The powers, what we did second session, just talking about anointing the Holy Spirit, how the gifts function. And that anointing is upon us to do what God wants us to do. And so while we are there to preach and declare his kingdom, his constitution from heaven, written by the king, given to the church, the embassy based on earth, to decree his message, not become diplomats which negotiate and compromise in the process. Ambassadors declare, say it's written and walk away. Ambassadors say something, you've got to live up to it or not. Diplomats, they negotiated and come to a compromise on both sides to cause peace, which is foreign, which never stands. And that's why we have negotiation, dialogue, all this stuff in the world. Let's discuss this. Can I be honest and say that the diplomacy, the diplomatic attitude towards the kingdom was birthed in the Garden of Eden. And it was birthed by one horrific creature called Satan because he said, did God say? That's where debate started. That's where he debated the truth. Adam and Eve were led astray. 
gave the authority of the earth to Satan who walks around, who's now Lord of this world, who's God of this world. But hello, we're back. Jesus, the last Adam, the first soul, the living spirit. First Adam, the living soul, Jesus, the living spirit, came back, the last Adam, and he corrected what the first one did wrong. And he said, hey, church, walk in that authority. And I know it's, we don't have kingdom now mentality, but we can walk in such a way that we can believe for such things that no one else can, but we can because he is who he is. He's Lord of all. All things are possible to those who believe, not to those who negotiate. We don't want to live our Christian life on earth as a terrorist mentality Christian. Don't threaten me and I'll leave you alone, Satan. I'll promise you I won't do that. Just leave me alone. But what we should say is, hello, I'm going to do that. I'm picking a fight with you. Back off. Hello? I've lost you right there, right? So, so what Satan tries to do, you can go and do the opposite. You know what? When Satan shows up, you're in the right place. So go pick a fight. Make it worth it. That's not very gentle Christianity. But that's missions. That's the great commission has given you a mission. And when you mission his commission, you will see and you've got his permission to do what he wants to do. He wants to manifest his power through you. So that's the power. Tonight we're talking a little on the glory, and I feel totally inadequate because we're talking about the glory of God. And oh my, how magnificent, how incredible he is. But I do want to throw things, not throw, but hopefully bring some things to us tonight to say, okay, where's this found in the Bible? Because I just want to find out where glory is. And I've started, it's a fresh thing for me, possibly this last two months, looking at, okay, Lord, we talk about thine is the power, the kingdom, thine is the power, got that, but thine is the glory. And glory to me is just revival. It's when the atmosphere of heaven invades earth. It's got nothing to do with one man or a denomination. It's his visitation. And I love the story of um, <clears throat> Maria Woodworth Etta, I think it was. Yes, it was. Maria Woodworth Etta had a massive tent meeting on one side of town, Alexander Dowie on the other side of town. They met once and they disagreed. He called her the trance evangelist. She was threatened by him because he was just healing thousands of people. He had the healing rooms. He initiated. John G. Lake continued. Bethel Reading is doing it. And many churches are doing it. But she was going to a trance. Remember, she was preaching, and she's got that classic picture where she's holding the Bible, and she's like this, and she, I think it was three days. She stood there just breathing. When she opened her eyes and started preaching again, the crowd had trebled, and she continued on with the same sentence. She just didn't, she just was out. Has this, does this happen today? Absolutely. We happened in Pinetown, in the church up there where Kelly and I are with, where a certain gentleman from South Africa who now lives in the USA visited us, supposed to be there for three days over a weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. He ended up staying in the church for six weeks, and we had meetings morning and evening. And people came from everywhere. It was chaos. I mean, Pinetown, and you got revival happening for six weeks. And you can say, well, it's a mini revival. But I tell you what, people were revived. Oh, my goodness. They were totally changed. And there was one young girl there who lives in this area. She went into a trance. She's like walking through the back door there. She was talking to her friend, and she suddenly froze right there, halfway through a sentence. Her friend carried on and, and went back and looked at her, and she was like half through a sentence. 
And it lasted for about a couple of minutes, and she carried on talking, stopped, looked at everybody looking at her, and she wondered why they were looking at her, because she didn't know what she was happened to her. So yeah, these things happen today. But the trouble is, when that starts happening, say here, you'll say, no, those guys are freaky. No, they're natural. That's what happens when God shows up. But unfortunately, because we don't know this and don't understand it, we just want to cancel out what God does because of our tradition, because of what we think, and what we think is sober enough to believe. Friends, I have seen stuff in the mission field that has made my hair, when I had it, curl. (laughs) That's why I have none. No, I'm joking. But stuff that's happened. Demons manifesting, guys charging through the bush with a white shirt coming straight at me saying, speaking pure English, and I knew he couldn't speak English because it was a foreign nation in an extremely remote area, shouting at me and saying, who are you? I am the one here. So what do you think you're doing? I have the authority. And And he was running straight at me. It's a demon manifestation in a man coming straight for me. Killer motion. And I remember that moment standing up and saying, no, you're not. Jesus is Lord here. And immediately this man began to cower. And because it was near a police station, he was arrested, put inside, and put in jail, and he calmed down. You know why that happened? Because I moved in the Holy Spirit. Started preaching the Holy Spirit. Had no response that night. Like I was talking to a brick wall, but I knew God had said, share this. And that's a scary place to be. God said, do this, and then the response is nothing. And you turn around and say, man, am I hearing God. And I remember praying out on the airstrip all by myself the next day, going up and down. And finally, when I closed my mouth, I said, Lord, what I would do? He said, just demonstrate me. You've talked about me. Now demonstrate me with them. I said, okay. So that night, I'm right off track here. So that night... Uh, you demonstrate. Now, this is wild. I said, okay, there's a lady here who's got a swollen left knee. It's hot. It's swollen. It's your left knee. Step forward. Six ladies came forward. They all wanted healing. You know what Africa is like? They all want to be the one. So you can say, oh, praise God. There's six of you and pray. God said there's a lady, a, 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 one lady with a left knee, not any knee. So I walk up and down now. Now you have to with the discerning. You know, you walk up and down. You know, I want to be close to God. I want to do what he says. You want to grow in the anointing? One word, be, or sorry, it's two, be obedient. (laughs) Obedience. Be obedient to him. And a lot of times you can say, well, I don't want to look bad. You know what? Forget about worrying about looking bad. You look pretty rough yourself as, as you are. But in his eyes, he wants him to be demonstrated. Exalt him. So I went up and down, and I suddenly stopped in front of this one lady, and I said, it's you. You know, you, you don't know anything better to say, it's you. And so I knelt down, and I felt her left knee, absolutely, that was the one. Prayed for her, laid hands on, interpreted, I said, now go for a run. She ran outside the gas lamp that was hanging up on a little tree out there in the valley. She ran out into the darkness, and in the darkness, you suddenly hear, yeah, la, 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 la. She comes running past, you know. And she runs out into the darkness over there and comes running back. Now you've got a whole lot of people coming forward. So forget the one. Guess what happened? Show me. Demonstrate me. 
And so is that correct church way of doing things? You know, when, when you're out there and there's nothing else, it's wonderful. You know, when you're home, it's great to meet another Christian in the store. You say, what church do you go to in your friendly? You go to another nation like somewhere else in Africa. You say, oh, what church do you go to? I go to a Baptist church. I oh, praise God. Back here, it would be a bit of a problem. Baptist church, okay, okay. Bless you and walk off. <laughs> but if you're up in there and somewhere else around the world and someone says, I'm a Baptist church, it's wonderful. But if you go to Pakistan and he says he's a Christian, you couldn't care whether he's Baptist, Catholic, or whatever. You say, hallelujah, I love you. Well, you know, just, you found a friend. And I think that's what God wants. He says, if you know a measure of truth, that's it. It doesn't matter what package it comes in, so long as it's God and it happens. And so often we define what is right, but God is God and he makes things right in the process. So sometimes we put differentiations and barriers and even before we get there. So the glory of God, let's turn to Acts, um, Acts 5 verse 14. I'm picking on the New Testament and going to go backwards into, into the Gospels. And I'm, I'm, I'm a learner, I'm learning, I've been following Jesus for 40 odd years, and I'm certainly a student continually, if not, you're backsliding. So if you're not ready to learn, then you need to check out which trail you're walking on. So, and all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number, to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets, so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. Also, the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. I marvel at that. I don't think I have seen it happen. I have heard people talk about it. But to me, it means this, that that guy, Peter, was carrying the presence of God in such a way that it was that tangible enough that it caused a result. Secondly, the people knew that he carried such an anointing and a presence on him that they knew where to go and at what time of the day, not to interrupt him, but just allow something of him to go over them. Now, I think his shadow was tangible in the sense that every one of us in the sunlight casts a shadow, and it looks like us. But I think this shadow that Peter had was like Psalm 91, because the psalm tells us clearly about shadows. It says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So when you're lost in his presence, it's only his presence you see. It's called glory. It's called a tangible manifestation. Now, please don't say, oh gosh, you've got one of these super spiritual guys. Just relax. Because this I have seen, and I want to see it more. I've, I dream it. I think about it. I think, Lord, when can I see this? But the thing is, he dwelt under the secret place he was overshadowed. Now, if you look into the Old Testament, the tabernacle was overshadowed. When the glory cloud moved, people moved. They were led by the Spirit. 
When it lifted and moved, they packed up camp and scurried after it into the desert. And when this thing hovered, it came and settled down. And God's presence was there. The place was overshadowed. For 40 years, they walked in permanent light. Because there was a cloud, air conditioning during the day in the desert. But at night, there was a pillar of fire, light, warmth to all. So they were perpetual light. They were the children of light. When you read the little gospel of John, 1, 2, and 3 John, you find the children of light, the definition of that. He's just throwing it back and saying, guys, history, you remember. So I think when Peter came and he's walking down the streets, people timed it. I think it's, there's quite a lot of natural excitement. Timed it. Okay, it's about 4 o'clock. These guys quit the office. They go home. And they normally walk down the street. You've got to be humorous and you've got to understand that you've got to be there. Put yourself there. You know, it's like I often say, stick your head up in between the verses in the Bible. I'm in the book of Acts. Cool. Okay, there's Peter's feet. There's a dead person. There's the shadow. Right, watch this. And you role play it. Make a movie. Kears Taylor Productions. And you watch this guy go past the shadow, go over him. Sickness flee like a little rat out the body. And or whatever, just whatever, I don't know. And he stands up and goes home. Imagine him going home. Hello, darling, I'm back. Ah, Peter touched you. No, his shadow did. What? <laughs> so these things happened then. Why not now? So this, this uh, Maria Woodworth Etta, when she came to a town in England, 50 mile radius from where she was standing around the town. If you were within 50 mile radius, in other words, you were in the lanes plowing with a horse or you were riding, I don't know, a horse out there and you came within 50 mile radius, something hit you. It is reported truthfully in many books that I've read about revival that people would just fall to the ground and start weeping. Why? The tangible presence of God radiated from where she was. Why? Because God placed upon her an anointing to do what she did. It is reported twice that a ship was coming into harbor where she was, coming into harbor. And the whole crew on deck fell on their face, started crying out in repentance. And the captain, seeing the ship, the last time it was given this bearing and is heading straight for land, and if, doesn't some, and if someone doesn't steer this thing, it's going to crunch into the shoreline or ride up on a jetty or something. So he got a hold of a, a preacher on land. He says, get this guy here. We need to sort out what's going on on the boat. Preacher came, got a hold of the microphone. All hands on deck. Get in the kneeling position. They all got in the kneeling position. He says, say this after me. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. And he led the whole crew to the Lord. The presence of God lifted, they got up, they got her into the position, they got into a harbor. That happened twice. Now that's pretty scary. And you think, now, does that really happen? Yes, it has happened. Because the power of God was present. When the glory of God comes, He comes. And we talk, when we want revival in South Africa, we've got to be in a position ready to acknowledge what happens. Can I say this? Well, I will say it. When revival comes, it is messy. You'll think the front row is totally out of control. The worship team's doing its own thing. No, it's messy. It's not your way. It's not the perceived way. It's God coming down and breaking its shackles and chains because God is God.
The thing is to recognize it. So, shadows. Just the expectancy has got to be there. The expectancy. Such as they have, they want. That expectancy. God, we want revival. You've got to be a magnetic field in your heart to say, God, come. We just don't want to pray, oh, Lord, bring revival. And it's just one of those things that we say. It's like reading a fairy story. It's God, come. You mean it with all your hearts. Let's go to Luke 5.17. Luke 5.17. I've been looking at revival. I've been in revival. I have studied it. I've been to places where people have. And I think if Kelly and I, we try and make our lives so that we are walking in our own personal revivals. Because if you are so excited where you can't stop talking about him and you want to see the manifestations of who he is, that's where you are. You can keep yourself in revival. First thing is you've got to keep yourself there. When two or three start gathering together, there I am with you. What does that mean? I can presence myself with those that are magnetic towards me or attractive. And I think that they did that because in Acts where we've just been, they said the whole city heard the word. A little bit further on in those verses. And the whole city came out to hear the word on the next Sabbath. And it goes on to Acts 14. 1, and they spoke in such a way that even the shadow of Peter, they spoke in such a way. So they spoke in such a way that was different to the usual way. And I think when they start speaking in such a way, it's different to the known way because you're speaking in such a way because... It causes cities to change. It causes people to change. Luke 5 and verse 17. One day he was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who'd come from every village of Galilee and Judea from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. That is different to the gift of healing because there was a power of the Lord there to perform healing. There was an atmosphere where healings just happened. There's a man called George Jeffries, a well-known Englishman. He had a brother who was a musician. One day, George was sitting in the pastor's lounge of this massive meeting hall in England, and he was known to heal, have the ability, gifting, to specifically heal people with arthritis, bent knuckles, fingers, backs. So people were in the hall, and they were all, a lot of them were on stretchers and wheelchairs on, uh, in different positions and deformed from arthritic conditions. So I think it was mentioned there were possibly a thousand in that hall, which is big for England. And one of the ushers came through and looked at this and just saw all this People who are bent and twisted and in pain and moaning and lined up along the edge of stretches. You rush back to the pastor's lounge and you said, hey, hey, you, 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 you won't believe what I've just seen. Are, are you ready? Hey, there are so many people and they're all twi- twisted and sore and bent. Are, are you ready for this? And George Jeffries just leaned back in his chair and laughed and he says, the devil is so stupid. It's one of those books you read and you think, man, I want to remember this. 
So it didn't faze him about what his friends saw. It didn't faze him about what he was about to see. Because he had already seen the Lord, and his gaze was on him, and he knew that he, the power of the Lord, was going to be present to heal. And so he walked out on the platform, and lifted his hands, and he simply said this. This was his preach. The master is here. Put his hands down on the platform, and then you started hearing. Heard all these sounds as you pop joints that started happening. Just this crackling sound all over the room. And then it was taken over by people shouting for joy. And then people started jumping up and they started leaving their stretchers, their wheelchairs, getting up out of the seats, started doing PT and gymnastics, you know, aerobics, you know, Macarena, you know, this. And started doing this and they started running around the church and he just stood there smiling because God came in. See, the power of the Lord was present to do that. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory. And there are times when you can do nothing in a meeting because God just seems to take over. We read there that the power of the Lord was present. The reason why the power of the Lord was present was because the Lord was present. He carried it. What he's given to the church is the gifts, the nine gifts of the Spirit. One of them being healing, one of them being miracles, and the other one the gift of faith, the power trident, the power triple. And those things function together. But here, when the power of the Lord is present, stuff happens. A Sousa Street revival, Kelly and I have been there, stood at the Sousa Street, got a photo on our phones, and been there. We stood in there two years ago. We specifically went there just to be there and see what's left. And looked at um, um, Amy Simple McPherson, Angelus Temple, there with a radio tower. She broadcasted her sermons live from there, caused revival. All the big guys came in and preached in, her, in the temple there. And standing there and then standing at Azusa Street, why, why that? Because you just want to behold and see what God has done. Because what God has done is a memory and a reminder of what He can still do. When you get 1,700 people visiting on a farm out there, that's pretty big. What temple can hold that? That's a memory of what can happen. A million, what did I say? Well, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Just another zero. That's the user street. Mist under the chairs. If your kid lay down under there, you wouldn't find them. You can't see them. It's that thick. So any kid that had asthma or tuberculosis or any adult that had tuberculosis, often they'd just come in and lie down under the chairs and just breathe in the presence of God. Get up, walk out, healed. The power of the Lord was present. On two occasions, one lady reported that a man came into the building without an arm. He had no arm. He hadn't had one at birth. He was without an arm. And so she walks up to him, not William Seymour, who he was sitting on the platform with a cardboard box over his head, waiting to hear what God wants to do. Serious. Where's the pastor? And the box. <laughs> What's he doing? Praying. Why has he got his head in a box? He doesn't want to see. He's hearing from God. He's not moved. He's waiting. For... When that box came off, stuff happened. Anyway, side issue. Sorry, I'm just thinking wild things. 
George, what are you doing? I'm in the box. <laughs> I'm getting it. No, you're eating chips in there. Come out, man. <laughs> so, so this lady walks up and says, young man, what, can I, what, what are you here for? He says, I just want to worship God. He says, I see you've got an arm missing. Yes. Do you think God can grow it back? He says, I've never thought of that. He says, well, why don't we just trust God and see what happens? Can I pray for you? Before he could make a decision about it, she already laid hands on his shoulder and prayed. Step back, and twice, on two different occasions, on two different people, there was an absolute fantastic anatomy lesson of how God creates. Because out of his shoulder popped the bones, the humor, ulnar radius, all that, whatever these things are, yeah, those things. Bones came out, the sinews attached them together, the joints were there, the capsules, all that goes on, the rotator cuffs. And then the deep tissue came through, which would be firstly one of the most important, the arteries. They come down, artery, boom, suddenly go back, bounce up the arm as capillaries into veins into what was there. That happened. Then, laid upon that, it's very specific what she said is written in the book. Then tissue overlaid that. Finally, the muscles laid down, the attachments and the insertions. Then the underlying skin tissue, subcutaneous matter, lymphatic system. Then the skin, and then the nails. And because he's a man, a little bit more fur than... He just lifted his arms. Just worshipped God with two arms. Just happened, everyone said, thank you, Lord, and just carried on with it. They were focused on God. The power of the Lord was present. And so those are some of the illustrations. Luke 7.13, just turn over the page. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her. Let's go back. Soon afterwards, verse 11, went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. Notice a positive crowd with the Lord, one man leading it. They were heading towards Nain, a city. He was now approached the gate of the city. A dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and the sizable crowd from the city was with her. Here we've got a clash of two crowds. Jesus leading one with his crowd of expectant people because they know what he does, heading towards the gate. From the inside the gate, from inside where the city is coming out of the gate, is a coffin and a widow and another crowd. These two crowds, death meets life. He looked at her. Where are we now? When he saw her, he felt compassion for her, and he said to her, do not weep. Look at those three things. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, do not weep. It's amazing, he says, a very simple thing. Why not weep? You've lost someone. Why? Because he was seeing beyond the weeping. He came up and touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt. I love that scripture. When I read that, and I've read it many times, when it says, he came and touched the coffin, he didn't say, whoa, guys. He didn't say, Kayla, can we pray? He didn't say, are you born again? Is your son, does he know who I am? Does he have any? He just came up, and he just touched the coffin. He said, the very issue, the very death container, the very finality of declaration, the very fear of eternal life, whether you have it or not, he went straight to 
where death was. He touched the coffin, and then the guy stopped. I think there was something about the power and the anointing in the presence of God that arrests any given situation when he is allowed to penetrate and enter into that circle of what's happening. He touches the coffin. I think some voltage came out of that into the coffin. It stopped those guys in their tracks. And then we read the amazing thing. He came up and, yeah, and touched the coffin. The bearers came to halt. He said, young man, I say to you, arise. It's like what Lazarus does. Lazarus, come forth. And yet he was three days dead. He says, young man, does he have ears? No. Do those ears hear? No. Is there life inside those ears? No. But he speaks to those ears. And he speaks to the young man. He says, I say to you, and he says one word, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God. It's amazing how fear gripped them, and they began to glorify God. Interesting combination. Fearful, God. A great prophet has arisen amongst us, and God has visited his people. Visited his people. Revival. Death coming out. Life coming in, meet at a certain point, 90 degree angle or 180, whatever it was. They went back into the city. What do you think happened inside that town after that? Exactly. It's when life comes. In 2003, I was up at Nsanji in Malawi, and we were doing a number of meetings inside a big hall there with the Malawian people. We'd done one or two nights and God's power was moving, people were being healed. There were two mothers. One mother had a child in her arms and this child had club feet, born with club feet. The other mother, I think there were sisters, had a child the same, same age, but this child, its feet had been eaten by rats and the fingernails and fingertips had been eaten by rats because at night when she slept, because of the smell of food on the little one's hands, the rats would come into the hut and just start chomping, wake up the child, cry, bleeding, and the fingertips, some of the fingertips had been eaten away. The two mothers discussed this and they decided, well, you know what, we need to go to the witch doctor because um, we need to curse these rats and we need to see if uh, the little feet of the little one can be brought back to normal. And they both decided, by the advice of someone else who had been to the church, said to the two mothers, before you go to the witch doctor, why don't you go to the church, to the meeting place this afternoon, and see if prayer will answer your problem. Let God have a chance. So the two mothers picked up the, the young ones, and they went towards where the meeting was. The little one that had club feet and the mother's arms were on the back, I forget where it was, started kicking. So the mother took the baby off, had a look at the feet, look at why the little one was kicking. And when she uncovered the feet, found that both feet were totally normal. They hadn't got to the prayer meeting yet, but because the presence of God was there, it's called the glory was there, because his tangible presence was there, God did what he does when someone's desperate. 
They then rented the, the building and came up to the pastor and presented this one saying, look, this one had club feet, now was healed. And she said, also, we trust in God for healing the other one that had feet and fingernails eaten by rats. And so when they uncovered the little child to be prayed for, that child also was already healed. There was no need for prayer. The doctor or the clinician that was there knew both the mothers, knew both the children, and verified the fact that that child did have club feet. He examined it and said, no, this is a miracle. Looked at the little child, fingers were perfect, and says, I know this mother. I know she's not lying. And guess what they did? The whole church that night just began to glorify God. No one preached. You see, that God's presence, when you come within the zone of God's presence, stuff happens. Bible says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Bible tells us, what don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? You. Let me read 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 7. This is revival. 2 Chronicles 7. Now when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house. The priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. All the sons of Israel, seeing the fire come down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, bowed down on the pavements, not on the floor of the church, with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and gave praise to God, saying, truly he is good, truly his loving kindness is everlasting. I want you to notice, praying, fire, consumed the burnt offering. Romans 12, one says, In the full view of the mercy of God, present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. When you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, you're not your own, you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. You become a living sacrifice to Him. The Holy Spirit is in you. You're the temple. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, nothing else can get inside you because you're occupied. And if you're occupied by God, by the Holy Spirit, then nothing can get inside of you. You're a God carrier. Acts 2, if I went and read that to you, which I won't, it is basically the same thing about us being filled of the Holy Spirit. And there's an exact parallel. Suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared upon them tongues of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And they were bold, and they went onto the streets. Friends, I tell you what. When revival comes, the Holy Spirit is present. We are the temple. Where we go, He goes. His presence. He'll show up in any place, in any condition. I knew little of the Word of God as a soldier in battle. Blood flying, bullets flying. And I remembered what my dad said when I was a young boy. I said, God, if you want my life. I was a soldier out there doing this stuff. If you want my life, you can have it. I had an X9 experience. The light of God came around me, the tangible presence of God manifesting in the form of light that I could barely keep my eyes open and look at. But the presence of God overpowered the pain, the bleeding, the physical symptoms of blood pouring out because I had a bullet through both legs. 
It took away the fear, the anxiety, the inadequacy at that moment. I was like, oh God, is this you? My dad had never read Acts chapter 9, but I knew God answered a prayer. Not where the choir was singing hallelujah in blue robes, the organ playing softly, waiting for his presence. No, there was this bombardment, this 90 degree clash of life and death where God touched and changed my life right there in an instant. Yes, the bullets were carried on firing, stuff happened, but I was more captivated by the presence of God, the incredible peace and his incredible mercy shown to me. When I was doing what I was trained to do, God says, no, I'll have that man. I have a purpose for him. When I understood that God showed his mercy at that dynamic, it's very easy to follow him. But I had what would be called a God encounter with him in such a way that very few people have. And when the Holy Spirit shows up, you know. Because you were born in that environment, you know what it is. You know who he is. And I'm trusting him to do exactly that with us this evening. His tangible presence to come and fill and be in this place. As a hunger for revival, I went to the Hebrides Islands in 2011 because I'd heard about Duncan Campbell. And I'd met a man who was a South African-born man living in, in, in Scotland, in Edinburgh. Kelly and I spent three days in his house. Previously, we'd spent an hour and a half in his home to go and visit him because I read his book called Sounds from Heaven. I read his book. I actually contacted him by email because I wanted the short, quick answer. How does revival come? What's the secret? And in between reading one chapter and the next chapter, I called him. He emailed me and gave me the answer, which I found in the next chapter. And he simply said, you find revival on your knees. But he kept talking to me, and um, I visited him. We did. I walked into that house with him and his wife, and I didn't say much for about an hour and a half. It was a short visit with some other friends. I was sobbing my eyes out because of the tangible presence of God in that house. Kelly did all the talking. Rick and Amy, they talked. It was recorded, so some of the conversations were there. But it tangibly changed my life because I was seeking God's presence and history, and wanted to learn from others who have been in it, and they had been in that revival that lasted in the Hebrides, Hebrides Islands. As I say, we came back and spent three days there. We sat and spoke revival to him for three days. We didn't go and visit castles, go downtown and eat muffins and donuts and coffee, but we just talked. Tell me, what happened? What happened to Duncan Campbell? What did he do? What was the church like at Barbas? What did he preach? What was the anointing like? How do you sense it? Question, question. And he would answer, answer, answer. Then that led for me, when on one of our trips, going to Stornoway, on the island of Skye, traveling into, Bar, into Barvis, where the church is, standing in the pulpit where Duncan Campbell stood, the windows, the room about this size, thick windows because of stone. They didn't have heating in those days, so they built thick walls. I remember sitting on the windowsill because he said, People were lined up on the windowsills listening to the word of God. So I went and sat there and looked at the, I went and positioned myself in every one of those places because I wanted to know what it was like. Met the pastor, 
chatted to him, invited us into his house, asked him questions. One of the elders of that day was still alive. And he'd been an elder in a church for over 70 years. Still an elder in the church. And he said this. He said, Laddie, when you get a vertical revelation, you will then have a horizontal mission. That one sentence is like a 500-pound bomb landing in your chest. God. He says, we just had tins on the cupboards. We didn't have much food to eat, but God. I went to one of their services on a Thursday night. The men sit on one side, the women sit on the other side. Scotland. <laughs> I sat on that side. There were three of us, an American, a South African, and a Brit. And we were asked to pray. And it was one of those most embarrassing moments of my life because you heard these guys pray. They pick up a Bible, they pick out a psalm, no musicians, and they'd sing a psalm. Precantor. You would sing, you would sing. They pick out any psalm, worship psalm. That's their hymn book. They sang the word there, live. I know my word. You feel the presence of God? I remember looking at the congregation, and I could remember looking at certain people's faces, and I could see that lady has a light on her face. That man and wife has a glow on their face. And discussing this afterwards, I'd walk up and say, were you in the revival? Oh, yeah, we were there. Oh, yes. And you could see the mark, the imprint of what God has done on the inside shining on the outside, tangibly. So we prayed. I sobbed my way through a prayer. I don't know why. The American guy was very eloquent. The Brit guy went on forever from Genesis to Revelation. This boykey just said, oh God, oh God, please come. I just want this in South Africa. I want this. At the end of that, I remember a lady came up to me, Agnes Campbell. Agnes Campbell says, Laddie, would you like to come and have tea? This is half past nine at night. I said, absolutely. And her sister, bless her heart, said, no, you can't because there's someone sick in the house and you can't go, but you can come tomorrow. So we did. We went the next day to Agnes's house at number two, Shadow Street, Shadow Town. You see, the town's not big. When God moves, he doesn't need cities. He needs people who are in the cities who want him to come with a great weightiness. I remember sitting here that afternoon on the chair trying to record on my cell phone what she was saying, and twice she interrupted me. Are you recording me? Stop it now. You know, and I said, no, I promise you I won't. I'll turn it off and back on again behind me. Because <laughs> I wanted to record what she said. And she says, when I was 16, I remember being in the kitchen, and my, my, my mother told me to go and make tea, and they were bringing bales of hay into the house. And it wasn't a big house. They're bringing bales of hay. And I said to my mother, why are you bringing bales of hay into the house? She says, because people are going to come here and pray tonight. She says, mom, that's never happened before. She says, it will happen from tonight. Please make tea and get the cups ready. So while she was making tea on the stove and had the teapot on the coal stove, she would look through the door and sure enough, people would come in and they would say nothing, she said. She told me, they'd say nothing. They'd come in and they would sit down and they'd just... Be very quiet. And she said, I felt the presence of God. So I'd go back into the kitchen and keep making tea. More people would come. And then she said, suddenly, she felt the presence of God hit her. She had to hold on to the table to keep standing. 
It's just as I was holding onto the table, pouring the tea for these people that kept coming in. At the end of the evening, but, well, end of the evening, four o'clock the next morning, the people then left and went home. And she told her husband, says, leave the bales of hay, they'll be here again tomorrow night. That went on for two years. You see, when revival comes, it's called awakening. And what awakening means is you don't need sleep because when you're in his presence, 24 hours becomes whatever, it's eternity. You are revived because the energy of God in you is totally different. And so she began to talk to me about what happened at revival, what was there. She said this. She says, I could hear people singing 14 miles, British, Scottish, miles away over the moors, you know, which means swamps. Mudlands. 14 miles away, I could hear them singing. And you're singing in a cottage. It's not many people. And there are thick walls, double glaze. You won't hear that 100 meters away. But 14 miles away, you could hear them singing. So I said, why? She says, Laddie, when you sing God's word with all your heart, the angels come down and join in. And she said, you could hear them over the moors, just singing. And so cottages and people in their homes began singing. You see, when revival comes, you will sing in your home. When revival comes, you'll sing and you'll testify about all the goodness. On the car, in the office, when it's tea break, you'll say, I've got something I want to tell you. It's about the presence of God. The glory of God is that. The word has got to be the foundation. Because the power of God always comes where the word is. The anointing gives you the ability to do these. But the glory of God is when he shows up and says, this is mine. Where the glory of God is, you don't have to worry about healing. It happens. In healing, sickness is dealt with. In the glory of God, sickness is illegal. Because it's heaven on earth. So when the glory of God shows up in a revival... You don't have to pray for the sick because the power of the Lord was present to heal the sick, to heal the soul, to heal broken hearts, to heal tumors, neurologic, neuro, whatever, diseases in the body. You just get there and let God come and guess what? You don't have to run around laying hands, having lines. It's just the presence of God there. Oh God, let it come. Let it come. Those who have clean hands and a pure heart, who will ascend the hill of the Lord? Clean hands and a pure heart. You want the presence of God in your life. It's what you do, what you think that counts. It's his presence. Amen.